Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thanks for joining me on another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have two very special guests who both happen to be named Todd. So this is going to be fun. <laughs> I have Todd Lalonde, who is the Director of Operations for the Drive Automotive Group. Todd, thanks for taking the time to jam with me today. Thanks so much. I appreciate the invite. And I have Todd Borgon, who is the Executive Director of the TADA. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, you did great. Thanks. Awesome. <laughs> hey, guys, for everyone out there who's watching and listening right now and kind of don't know, you know how you guys got started in the industry and what your background is, if we can kind of start off with what is the origin story of Todd and Todd, that would be a great place for us to kind of kick it off. Uh, Todd Lalonde, I'll, I'll get you to kick us off. A uh, bit of a, I guess you could call it unique uh, background. Uh, as I sort of go around and tell my proverbial story, I never had a job till I was 33, a real job till I was 33. I uh, was involved in professional sport from the time I was obviously a kid until 33. And uh, when I got finished in the sports business, uh, obviously decided to go back to university and, and had the idea of doing something. Uh, when I finished university, uh, in between completing uh, or finishing university and getting or into the job that I thought I was going to have, uh, I stumbled into a gentleman who was in the car business and like everybody else thought I had two or three months before the real job would be starting and I got involved in the car business. Um, and that was some, I think it was 2006. So from there, I uh, started in the car business in Windsor, Ontario, working for a guy named Terry Raffi at a Toyota store. Um, and then from there, it just sort of began to sort of all come together. I loved the car business. Uh, when I finished uh, playing and coaching hockey, I really felt a void of the competitiveness, the win or the loss, the lack of the sort of relevant narrative as to why in the sports business, either win or you lose. And the reasons don't really matter. You just get back at it the next night and try to do your best. And this car business thing was tremendous and, and sort of really gravitated to it, not just from an operational being in the business, but really wanting to learn the business and what made the best dealers mm -hmm. the best and what made the best uh, organizations the best. And from there, it just sort of came together about six years ago, moved to the city and uh, bumped into a guy named Jim Sullivan. And uh, here we are. And it's been outstanding for me. So I'm real fortunate. Here we God. are. That's how it started, right? Now, now, yeah. Todd, you you uh, you do some pretty cool videos. Uh, coming from a guy who does a lot of videos himself, um, I actually found one from a Kia dealership, I believe, in 2014. That was a fun, entertaining video to watch, man. So how how did you get started, like capturing like video content for yourself? You know what? I'm absolutely not a tech guy, but I've been, you know, I spent about 12 years as a coach and I did it for a living where I always tell everybody that I get an opportunity to speak to that it's, it's incredible when your mortgage payment depends upon wins and losses. Um, and I coached major junior hockey in, in Sudbury for 10 years. And uh, coaching was just such a big part of what I did every day. And it was really evident to me very quickly in our industry that there was no consistent strategy to what we do. It was complete randomization. Um, it was that whole mercenary approach that if I was blessed to have a skilled individual, I did well. If I had a good brand and a good location, I did better. But I didn't have a lot of control over what I did and nothing was repeatable. Um, so when I had the opportunity at that little Kia deal, it was the single greatest automotive experience of my life because we took a little Kia store that uh, basically was bankrupt. 
uh, we bought the store and really just turned it into an efficient business model. And what I mean by that is we managed by the metrics, we employed people, we trained people. We really sort of focused on, it focused in on what are the behaviors that are going to give us results that we need? How do we measure them? And then how do we repeat it? Or how do we identify when we're not doing well so we don't repeat it? And that's how the video thing started. It was really just a way for me to get to the staff so that they could watch it in real time. And rather than have, you know, Grant Cardone or Joe Verde or all these people that might not be relatable, we just started to do our own video training. And the more they watched it, my comparison was I spend hours in a little, you know, 12 by 12 office in a hockey rink somewhere in Sudbury and watch video for hours to try to pick apart my opponent, but more importantly, try to look at my team and see what they were doing well so I could repeat it and equally as important, identify what they're not doing well and eliminate it. And selfishly, it was survival. So that's how it sort of started. And then obviously, it's a drive auto group. We've invested tons of money into our mentorship program to be able to not just help the people inside our organization, but identify this industry for, for people that I don't think know really what it's about. And that's how that all came about. That's very cool. All right, uh, Todd Borgon, how does one become the executive director of the TADA? I, I want to know the origin story. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if I can top Todd's story at that point. I think I might be out. That's a, that's a, great, uh, that's a great entry into our, our industry. I love it. I love it. There's uh, so many stories of people that kind of enter into our industry kind of midstream, so to speak. And, uh, and then when they get into it, it's like the, they just can't, uh, can't stay away from it. So glad to hear it. My, uh, my entry into the, uh, into the industry was, um, was not by design, quite frankly. I managed a Fortune 500 company in Canada, ran their operations for, for a number of years, um, but had a young, very young family. Uh, at the time and uh, was traveling about three to three and a half weeks of every month um, and um, decided it was time for a change where I could find myself a bit more grounded in the Ontario market and uh, always had automotive in my blood. The other organization that I ran was an automotive organization and um, this opportunity presented itself and uh, it started with the Toronto Dealers Association back for me in 2008 so coming up well just over 12 years now and then uh, I was part of the uh, the merger with the Ontario Association, so it's been a it's been a very interesting and educational ride, so to speak. And I think the last five weeks have probably added up to almost the last five years in terms of, of learning through uh, through a fire hose. But uh, that's uh, that's all part of it. Look, it's an interesting time for us as an industry. Um, you know, this so much of this reminds me of the recession, and then so much of it is so unique in itself. You know, the, you know, I, I was in the states in the automotive industry during the recession, and there was kind of a, a built up like a progression, you know, of just kind of things kind of going sideways, or you know, people not coming in. It just it, it was a it was a slow progression. Uh, this was a a switch. So let's let's let let's start with that because I think that's what everybody wants to talk about is kind of the now. And then of course I want to take the majority of the time and really kind of talk about how you guys see things progressing over time and what that new norm is going to look like. But I, I think it's fair for us to just kind of talk about the now at this given moment. So you know, uh, uh, Todd B for yourself, you know, uh, for you know being the director, the executive director for the TADA. You know, what is kind of the the mood, you know, that you're seeing in the industry right now? Um, I think honestly, it changes every 10 minutes. It goes from, you know, moments of frustration to moments of, okay, we think we've got a better understanding of this to, 
back to, you know, moments of how long is this bloody thing going to go on for? Um, and so it's, it's been juggling those, I call it those emotional balls, uh, so to speak. Um, and, uh, certainly, and I get it. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot on the line. Everyone that uh, is in our province, the members of our association are all independent business owners. And so, you know, the biggest challenge has been getting clarity to the information that comes out because it's happening so rapidly. And, um, you alluded to it earlier. It's like in 2008, it was a, it was a long runway to the downturn in the economy. Um, in 2020, it was within two or three days, everything turned itself upside down. And I think that's, uh, I think that's been the, the, the biggest frustration for everybody is trying to adapt as quickly as they had to adapt. But, um, you know, overall, uh, the one thing about this industry, and uh, I always like to relate things, Todd, back to sports as well, is that uh, we're resilient as hell and uh, strong teams always come back. Uh, after they've been beaten and um, we're not beaten by any stretch. I would say that the, uh, the industry right now is, uh, is a little confused in some regards in terms of, you know, like how long this thing goes on for and what it really means with showrooms being closed and trying to figure out new ways of selling. Um, but in the long run, we'll all be stronger as we get through this. Uh, that I, that I, that I do know. I completely agree with you on that. I think we're, and, you know, and the same thing happened in the recession. We came out such strong. I mean, there was just so much built up demand. You know, I, I think what people have to remember, you know, is that, you know, people who have been shopping for cars haven't stopped shopping for cars, right? Are they going to buy one right now? Maybe, maybe not. Probably a large percentage of them won't. But, you know, I just remember coming off of that 2008 and getting into early 2009, and it was just like someone flipped a light switch on. And there's all that built up demand kind of came into play, which made us had to kind of readjust our operations because we just weren't ready for that. Um, so I think, you know, going into kind of that new norm and, you know, uh, Todd L, I'm setting you up for this, for this next uh, question is like, there's, there's our current operations and then what uh, potentially our new operations is going to look like when we come back to some level of normalcy. And I'm not going to pretend like I know when that is. I love that there's people out there like June 17th, we're going to be back. Like, what the hell did you come up with that date for but at some point in time we're going to get back to it so um todd l this one's for you um operations right now what does this look like for you well my first comment i have to agree with todd i think this industry is absolutely resilient and i think the one thing that anytime we sort of deal with any sense of adversity the one thing that has proven consistent consistently is we really get a clear and evident picture of who our people are uh, from our leaders in our stores to see how they respond. And, you know, as a coach, I always used to say, um, you know, the true sign of an individual is during those times of adversity, how do we react? And I used to always say, listen, I don't need you when I've won seven in a row. I need you when I've lost seven in a row. I need that win. And, and I'll tell you, that's one thing that's proven really clear with us. Uh, we've got all of our franchises up and running with the exception of one. Um, I've got 11 general managers that are engaged and I think are prepared to battle. And right now, I mean, it, it's, um, it's a tough go. Um, you know, we uh, have a plan in place. Obviously, a lot of our business circumvents around our service business. Um, fortunately for us, we're still operating at about 70% of what we forecasted for for the month of April. So we're really happy with that on the service side of our business. Um, on the sales side of our business, even uh, with uh, the recent events here in the province of Ontario, uh, we're still managing to sell as a group uh, about 30 cars a week. 
uh, all digitally. So from a positive perspective, we are preparing for what the new normal will be. And again, I've never really envisioned um, the automotive purchase just jumping into a traditional Amazon type online because I think there are some still some legitimate industry concerns about am I getting the right information? Is the information accurate? And and that proves consistent just by the percentage of customers that even just give us phone numbers digitally. Uh, but I think what it does is it allows us to carry that communication and interact with that customer properly so that we give them a sense of confidence and certainty that the information we're giving them is right. The vehicle that they're looking at is the right vehicle and we're prepared to take as much or as little time as you need. So. I think holistically, you know, proverbially, it's been said a million times, but these times allow us to reset our business. They allow us to identify who who are our key players and what sort of leadership capabilities do they have. And then finally, it's really going to allow us to look and cleanse and see, hey, listen, what did our business look like? What were our net returns based on sort of the line one revenue we were generating? And I think the one thing has been evidently clear at the Drive Auto Group we have seen we can do a whole bunch with not very many. And uh, that's an exciting thing for us. And we really can't wait till things get back to normal. But in the meantime, it's executing the strategy that we have in place that evolves around our service business and catering to those that are required uh, to use our facilities. Uh, certainly look at our digital platform and come up with a really customer-centric model that allows us to repeat how customers want to be dealt with and then finally, when we open up for regular business, we'll see where we are. I love how everyone right now is like the new way to buy a car. Like this didn't exist before. You know, it's like I was talking to a buddy of mine who runs a, a fairly large BDC for a large automotive group. And, you know, we were both joking about this because, you know, 15 years ago, we were drop shipping cars. You know, if someone wanted to buy a Corvette on the other side of the country, we sell them a Corvette and we send it to them on the other side of the country. And it was like, I don't, I don't know why all of a sudden we're calling this like the new way to buy a car. I think what it is, is from an operations perspective, we have to make a choice, you know, of, of how we're going to present the process. And I think it's more of a process than it is a technology, you know? Yeah, it's a, I mean, certainly operationally, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, we've been buying cars online as an organization for the last 15 years at the different various auctions and trade uh, wholesale applications that are available for us. And one of the interesting comments I had from uh, one of our customers who we educated on how to virtually present the vehicle that they wanted to trade was that exact comment. Hey, listen, this isn't new. As an organization, we've been buying cars from, from people unseen. We don't go stand at auction lanes very rarely anymore. Uh, but there's a professional way to be a seller and there's a professional way to be a buyer and it's rooted in transparency. So let me show you how to professionally sell your car. And it's been a kind of a cool thing to watch the customer's eyes light up when they think, yeah, this really isn't all that new. So most of them have an, uh, some sort of smartphone and most of them know how to take a picture. So we're halfway home. I'm finding right now, you know, talking to a lot of dealers that, that customers are actually really like hyper like connected. You know, like when they're in the dealership, you know, they're, they're easily distracted. It's like, you know, you, you've done the deal, you know, or you're negotiating a deal. Someone excuses himself, goes to a manager's desk and someone's like on their phone, you know, and now that's not necessarily the case. It's like, you know, it's like because we're having to communicate face to face like we are right now on video chat, you know, it's like there's a huge level of hypertension between, you know, the, the dealer and the customer. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there. Now, now with that said, though, um, uh, Todd B, this is a question more for you, because I think you're, you're so, so close to all of the 
new information that's coming out as far as what the government's saying or what the province is saying or what OMVIC is saying. And I think there is some confusion out there. Um, you know, is, is this something you feel comfortable kind of talking about, okay, laying it out there, kind of, you know, this is the way we have to do it. Is, is that something you feel okay kind of commenting on? Yeah, sure. So right now, what is like, what is that process? What can we officially do? Well, what we can officially do, quite honestly, is operate within the guidelines that we're, we're given. And I mean, it, it sounds cliche, but, um, you know, you mentioned a couple of parties there. There's the government, there's OMVIC, and then there's the retailers, and then there's us that, you know, helps lobby and interpret that information both, both ways. And, um, you know, there is certainly some frustration that um, some people would like to see certain rules uh, lightened up from the OMBIC side. But part of it, too, is the challenge for us is helping to, and I hate to use the word educate, but I guess inform back that OMBIC doesn't create their own playbook. They, they're not given the rules. Uh, sorry, they don't create their own rules. The government provides those rules through the MBDA, which is Motor Vehicle Dealer Act. And so, you know, when we're looking for things to be adjusted or changed in these times of complete uncertainty, um, we've quite frankly had a lot of wins given to us uh, from the government to help keep the province moving, liquidity moving, keep employees uh, with some sort of income in, in a really, you know, terrible time. And so right now, I mean, we're focused on the recovery piece and, uh, and that's really what we got to look at. I mean, we have to deal with what we have to deal with, but some of the changes that, you know, people may say, Hey, there's confusion there. And why can't they do this? Or why can't they do that? Well, in some, in a lot of these cases, it requires a legislative change, which means you've got to introduce this legislation. It's got to go through the entire process. And quite frankly, I think if we're all being honest with each other, certainly we all want to sell cars and we all have a living that we need to make. But I don't think that any government's going to prioritize putting in new legislation so that we, they can make a, a small adjustment to, you know, how a car delivery takes place or uh, how a test drive works. And um, so, the, you know, I, I am empathetic, sympathetic, and, it, and it, it's been a painful sort of month and a half of trying to um, help the dealers, certainly on many fronts. But I think that's the one right now that I would say that uh, there is definitely maybe not so much confusion, but maybe just a misunderstanding of, of how the process works to get those type of things put into play. But overall, I think that when you look at, you know, if you say the clock started on March the 7th, and I'm not saying that's the exact date, but let's say it started on March the 7th. Where are we now? We're April the 15th. Sorry, I mean, every day's Monday. <laughs> um, I, that, that. Um, I, I think that I've never seen governments, I've never seen industry in a um, pivot so quickly. I've never seen, you know, 1100 dealers um, refocus uh, their businesses so quickly. Um, so, you know, there is always some good in everything. And there, the, you know, the good that's come out of the said at least that we've had the year of the right people, um, you know, that have been on this. So, um, you know, anyone that's listening to you that's in our province that still has some uncertainty or some unclarity, uh, we've been available literally 24-7 since this, this started, and uh, they're more than welcome to reach out to us when uh, when the time arises. That's very cool. Um, I guess my next question for kind of both you guys is is getting into that new norm, whenever that is, right? Um, I think from an industry, we're going to see some changes. And I think operationally, I think we're going to see a fair amount of changes. But, you know, I'd really kind of like to hear both your guys' thoughts and opinions on this. Let's start on the operations side with yourself, Todd L. Um, 
operationally coming out of this time frame, how do you see, um, you know, we're going to get back at this. What, or, you know, you said it kind of earlier where, you know, we're going to do a lot with a lot less operationally. How do you perceive that going down? Well, again, I think a lot is going to change. Um, I think a lot of decisions uh, will be made based on what we're experiencing now. And I do have to say something to Todd, um, certainly as a guy who represents uh, a whole bunch of biz individual businesses and one big dealer group, one statement he made that I couldn't agree with more is you, you have absolutely had a bunch of wins for us. So I really want to, in a, in a position that's very difficult, I want to personally say thank you for that. Um, yes. I think your lobbying and your ability to navigate uh, and give us the presence we have today um, I've always said it's a lot. It's easy to poke holes and things, uh, but to sit back and sink what we have today versus without good leadership, what, what we might not have today, and what that may have created for us coming out of this. I mean, I don't even want to think that. So, thank you, Todd, to you and your staff. You've done a masterful job. It was very kind. Um, thank you for saying that. Yeah, coming out of this, I, I think you know, I think our business changes. I mean, I've got my own sort of um, ideas that I thought long before this happened. Um, I think we are going to have to do way more with less. Um, I think, you know, as a guy who has a massive state of the art business development center of, you know, 40 people um, that answers every inbound internet lead, every inbound service. I mean, we, we field 50,000 inbound calls a month here through our business development center. Um, I think that's a relook. I think, um, I think we've got to really look at what our finally what our customers want and listen and facilitate exactly what their interests are. I think hygiene has a new definition. Mm -hmm. I think anxiety has a new definition. And I think if our industry really does care, if we really want less emphasis on the economy and the manufacturer and internally to be able to create a little bit of our own economy, um, I think we really have to look intrinsically at our organization and say, hey, listen, what do our customers want? and stop doing business the way we want to do it. Um, that's sort of been my epiphany, right? I mean, we did an exercise at our group uh, in January of last year where in service, we listened third party to everything customers said yes to, and we listened to everything customers said no to. And it was interesting. You know, we were happy uh, when we heard the word no from a customer the opposite was success for us. So we were happy with that no because we didn't have to exercise something. And I think intrinsically, we really have to listen to what customers say yes to and do our best to be able to cater to that. Um, you know, it was interesting to hear Todd's background being in big business, Fortune 500. That's where I thought I was going uh, before I ended up in the car industry. And, and, you know, in those moments of solace when I'm driving home, you know, the, the motivating factor is a big business has to create their own economy, even during times of adversity. We can't rely on a manufacturer's interest rate or a new model coming out to be able to justify performance in our industry. We have massive databases. We have loyal customers coming through service. And we need to get the dismal numbers that we deal with, you know, 35, 40, 50 percent retention of customers who own cars after one year and stop that justification as to why and get every single one of our customers that buy cars from us to not even consider going anywhere to have their car serviced, but an OEM. 
I mean, that's where we have to drive our business. And it takes a bunch of training and it takes the right people, not just the right people training, but the right people in our environments that want to do things the right way. And I think that'll be the biggest takeaway from this. We won't have time because as much as these times are stressful, document this. The first six months out of this will be equally as stressful as we try to get back. Because if we think, you know, Todd calls us one day and says, all right, boys, it's time to go back to business and everything's going to be the same way it was. We're delusional. Mm -hmm. No, I I completely agree with you. I mean, we're not going back to the way we kind of were before, you know, and, and, I think the key to getting that started or prepping for what that new norm is going to be is as at a dealership level, you know, we need to feel comfortable letting the customer steer the direction where in the past we were the ones that have always held on to that steering wheel as much as possible. We want to control that process. Now, now with that said, we've, we've talked so much. I mean, Todd, I've been to so many TADA conferences where, you know, customer experience and customer's expectation is, is always a major theme of those, of those conferences, you know, but we always talk about how the customer's expectation is simply to meet the expectation. It's not, we actually have to exceed the expectation. Now, as an industry, what is your thoughts on how that will change moving into this new norm? Well, I mean, I think it's it's very much what Todd has actually referred to is that the industry is going to adapt to how a customer wants to shop and buy from us. And quite frankly, um, to do that, it's required a number of players in the industry to adapt and change as well, right? And, you know, the most obvious one in Ontario would be uh, the banking infrastructure um, and and the requirements around uh, signatures that you know have been kind of a, a quote unquote handicap to adjusting to a system like we have now. But you know, in the last uh, seven days, uh, we worked very closely with our national association and the lobbying for these organizations to be you know to help us and to and to consider pivoting and changing uh, has paid off. I think there's three three now as in the last 24 hours that have, have changed their their policies and how that happens. So. Um, I just think it's very obvious that it doesn't matter if it's the car industry. It doesn't matter if you're going to Shoppers Drug Mart. It doesn't matter if you're going to Sobeys. Uh, the reality is, is that all those shopping experiences will change for quite some time. And it's important that we're, um, I think that we're eyes wide open to it, number one, that our heads are out of the sand, that uh, it'll you know, eventually just go back to the way that it was, because I don't think that it will. But the good news is, we know that this is going to happen when things open back up. So one of the things that we're working on, have been working on the last couple of days is helping prepare documentation for the dealers to be able to have protocols in place for both them, their customers and their staff and things like that. So we're already starting to prepare for what does it look like when we go back to work? Um, And, you know, to Todd's point is that, you know, there is going to be a demand for services. There is going to be, in our opinion, pent up demand uh, for vehicles once uh, once we get through this. And will there be some anxiety in some cases for people not wanting to go into public places to get them and pick them up? Likely. Uh, and if that's the case, then the good news is we have an opportunity now to find a way to, uh, to answer that demand. You know, the one thing that I think is going to be a very interesting experiment uh, out of all this is that, you know, for the last number of years, everywhere that I've gone for conferences and people that I've talked to, you know, it's been all about how certain generations, and I've got two of them in my house that uh, they're playing in that generation. They're not going to drive anymore. They're going to share cars. Five people are going to own that car. And, you know, all these types of different models that were being explored. Well, I'm hearing that a lot of people are going to reconsider 
that type of a model only because now even from a public transit perspective, you might not see the same type of trust. You might see a higher level anxiety in those modes of transportation. So you may see automotive, um, you know, and, and you hate to benefit from anything as horrible as what uh, we've all experienced and what the world's experienced, but you, you may see uh, a benefit and an uptake from that. So, um, you know, there is some silver lining, but I think now we've got, everyone's got a bit of extra quote unquote time on their hands if they're, um, if they're, if they're at home working versus in the physical environment. So now's the time to get the, the, those plans in place and not wait for them to say, okay, showrooms are now open. Cause they're not just going to do that. The government is not going to say, okay, everything's back to normal. It's not, they'll put certain restrictions in place to protect all of us and uh, we'll have to continue to adapt. So I think we have a lot of, I think you're right. So we have a lot of adaption coming in the next six months. And I actually think that's, that's probably the right one, the right length of runway. You know, uh, you mentioned time, which as an industry, I mean, I sit down and talk with a lot of dealer principals and a lot of directors of operations. I mean, Todd, I was sitting in your office. Isn't that crazy? Not only like maybe a few weeks ago, (laughs) so much has changed since then. Right. And time is just something we've always in the past talked about. Like we don't have, like it's, it's such a high commodity. There was just so little of it. Now I'm finding when I'm talking with dealer principals and I'm talking uh, to uh, directors of groups that they have this time. You know, so I, I'm just question. This is my question, I guess, for you guys is, you know, where do you think the best usage of this kind of newfound time is knowing, you know, what the next six months is going to come, at least having an idea. Uh, Todd, L, I'm going to start with you. Like, what are you guys doing as a group right now with all this newfound time? <laughs> Well, I mean, if there's new time, I want to find it. Um, I just said to my boss just this morning, man, I've, I've never worked so hard uh, to try to accomplish so much. I think a lot of our time right now, certainly from my perspective, um, you know, my, my job is I'm the vision guy. I, I'm, what, what is it going to look like and how do we make sure we get to where we need to go all the while working within sort of the confines of the boundaries that insulate us from any significant failure? Um, and, and again, um, like I said, we remained operational, um, 10 of our 11 franchises continue to operate as they did within the confines of what the government has told us to operate. Um, and quite frankly, I think we're better today than we were three weeks ago. I think our group is tighter. Um, we meet every day as an organization at 10 o'clock via this uh, methodology right here, all uh, 10 general managers and some of their support staff um, and it's incredibly structured, but it's an opportunity to give some direction and some vision to where we're going today. What do we need to accomplish and what are we doing today? And is that an investment into what's going to protect us and help us as an organization moving forward? And I, I just can't, I, I just can't stop getting away from that one exercise we did where we looked at, you know, what do we say yes to as an organization? And we studied it in the service department and we found that we say yes to anything that matters to us and not Funny yes to what matters to the consumer. And I think that's a fundamental flaw. And I think it, it speaks to why we have the numbers we have when it comes to retaining our customers. I think we say yes to a lot of things as well. And I think that when it comes to our employees, and I think that speaks to the turnover of our employees. I mean, this is a great industry. I mean, this is a competitive uh, not for the faint of heart business. Um, if we can create an environment whereby we have strategies that are repeatable and trainable, I think we'll attract people that, you know, are that sort of characteristic, those people that are battlers and competitors. 
But, you know, I see organizations and, and environments that turn over 70, 80% of their people. How do you possibly succeed when seven of every 10 people that are working for you today aren't going to be working for you in the next eight months? How do you build any momentum? Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that is certainly a big thing for us, and we talk about it every day with our HR department is, who is the next generation? Who are the people that we want working for us? How do we get to those people? And then how do we create an environment where the last thing they would ever want to do is even think of leaving? And I think if we can do that in this organization, listen to what the customer wants and have the vigilance to withstand what we're going through today. Again, as Todd opened with, we're a, we're a resilient bunch. And uh, I think we'll be great when it's all over. And I think the opportunities will be very, very, very fruitful coming out of this. Very well said, Todd. <laughs> hey, um, guys, I have another question uh, for you. It has to do with communication. Um, because like right now I see in the industry is just kind of a a whole inconsistency in communication, right? I mean, I, I find that there are uh, dealerships and um, uh, certain dealer bodies out there that are doing a phenomenal job of, of staying communicated with their staff and staying communicated with you know their customers. And then I'm seeing a whole whack ton of them out there literally just sticking their heads in the sand and they're in just la 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 until this whole thing is over. And um, I don't, I'm not 100% sure of what's the right or wrong way to do it. I've just noticed two different extremes when it comes to communications. And I'm, I'm curious on kind of what your guys' thoughts are. Uh, Todd B., I'll start, I'll start this off with you. You know, as far as communication efforts go, you know, what are your thoughts and opinions on how and what we should be communicating right now? Well, I think, you know, everyone's an independent business owner. For, so for me to tell them how, uh, when you look at the demographic of our province and, and you know, the rural versus the urban capacities and sprawl, then I would not be the right person to give blanket advice. But I think that, you know, one of the things that when we were uh, with the premier this past weekend, you know, the things that we certainly hit upon is that car dealerships touch every aspect of every community in the province of Ontario. And they play a role in these communities. And, you know, Todd, I didn't know that you were a coach in Sudbury. So I'll use Sudbury as an example where, you know, some of the towns that aren't as close to the cities um, certainly rely upon, you know, their community makeup uh, much differently. So I think that from a communication perspective, I think it's just important that the dealers um, are in touch with their local communities and are playing a role in, in part of the solution as well. And those are some of the good stories. I mean, Jason, we've heard so many stories from so many dealers that have stepped up just silently. And, and you know, you hear about them through the grapevine where, you know, one donated his whole loaner, uh, vehicle loaner fleet uh, to doctors and nurses in his area because he, he didn't want them to have to worry about contaminating their family car uh, going back and forth to the hospital. So, you know, things like that, I think, are the communications that are non-traditional um, but say a lot and speak big, big volumes. And then there's the communication, not to the general public, there's communications to your teams. And, um, you know, I, I'm a big believer um, that nobody is too big or too small to do any job in any organization, whether it's from, you know, the one that, uh, that gets to put their name on the front door to the one that has to clean the, the washrooms. And in these times, what we've tried to do is communicate with our teams and just bring a, a level of humanity to it. So we do, a, even internally, we do a social call on, on Zoom every week just to check in with people and um, you know, and, and it's just an opportunity to kind of re-engage. And I got to believe that, you know, that those types of engagements that you never really got 
to spend any uh, time with people on those levels uh, on a regular basis. Uh, it's going to create much, much stronger teams uh, as we come out of this. And, you know, I think it goes without saying, too, is that some may choose that they don't want to be on the team um, in some cases because they don't like the, the new norm that it's going to become and maybe that they're not in the right environment. And that's okay, too. Todd L, any thoughts as far as um, how to communicate or what to communicate, both to staff and customers? Um, again, I, I think you know communication is is sort of a vital piece in any environment. I think it's um, I think lack of communication is what creates a lot of sort of anxiety as to what's happening. Um, you know, we're an organization 900 strong. Um, we're down to a fraction of that today. Uh, but I think not only just communicating with the people that are currently battling with us, but continuing to communicate with those that are not with us today and sort of on furlough and, and not from an operational perspective. I think the one thing that's been pretty cool, as Todd alluded to, was sort of just the humanity that comes out of this sort of stuff. And I use the term stuff because it's lack of a better phrase. I mean, again, just you know, again, Jay, five weeks ago, you're sitting in my office and we're talking about, you know, the business and boy, we don't know what happens the next day, right? We don't, we don't know what happens, what's in store for us the next month and not to get philosophical by any means, but I think there's some reality there. So really to answer your question, I think it's communication is vital. And I, and I think how, well, I'm not qualified to answer how to do it, but I think we've got to communicate to our employees that are with us today. And I think, you know, as a leader, I think that's the big piece. And again, uh, not just selective communication, but communicate to everybody and communicate the right things. Um, and certainly our customer base, we've spent a ton of time dividing up our customer base. We believe the industry is going to go to a, a brand ambassador model where that person handles the service business. It handles the sale. It handles the equity piece. That person is your automotive go-to um, and we just think we're going to communicate that to our customers on a regular basis. Our, our standard language is we're here for you. Uh, I know we don't always demonstrate it by what we do, but I'll tell you, our intentions are always the best. And uh, we're working to certainly exceed your expectations, even when sometimes it doesn't seem that way we are. And then internally, we're trying to do the best we can. So I think just constantly communicate, let them know we're here for them. And you know what, it's just how are you doing and how you feeling and you know, everybody deals with this sort of stuff differently. Um, I'm blessed with a different sort of makeup. Um, you know, I have a son who's just recently graduated from university and, and twins who are eight. So I've got different areas of the sort of the fatherhood uh, realm and just to see how they deal with these things differently, right? I've got a son who just graduated with his MBA and had everything lined up on his fancy dream, dream Bay Street job. And, you know, now he's sort of forced to wait. And, and for kids, that time is is anxious, right? You're, And then I've got eight-year-olds, uh, twins who should be playing lacrosse and hockey in their busiest time across overseas. And then, you know, they're at home. So I just think continuing to communicate, being honest and authentic and, you know, being aware of people's feelings is the best thing we can do. No, I'm with you. I think we, at any given time, and we, we always have to deploy empathy, but boy, it, we have to do it now more than ever. Um, I'm finding right now that uh, there seems to be kind of a, a disconnect as far as how we're addressing the anxiety. All right. So when I think about, when I think about back to the recession, I remember what clearly what the anxiety was, am I going to have a job in three months? 
Am I going to have a job in six months? You know, that anxiety is a lot different than the anxiety that we're dealing with today. And, you know, I understand that the word sanitize is being used in a lot of our messages, but I have a concern about this and I want to hear you guys' thoughts on this. What the hell does that mean? Like, you know, as an industry or just, we've never defined what does it mean to actually sanitize a vehicle? You know, what does it mean to have a, a touchless type transaction with someone? And I just have concerns that there's not like a define process for this. I think there's opportunity for someone to define the process here, but I just feel like it's just kind of, it's all over the place. Um, Todd B, I'll start with you on this, but you know, what are your thoughts, man, about, you know, dealerships out there saying that they're sanitizing these vehicles? Well, I think that, you know, if you look at the definition by nature, obviously it's going to be subjective by each individual. Um, But I really like to believe that you know, the information that the dealerships are getting either from their manufacturers or from us um, and what they're getting from public health are giving them the ability to adapt and to do what they need to do uh, in the vehicles. They're investing, quite frankly, uh, a lot of infrastructure, a lot of cost to this by going and buying the equipment that they've had to buy to help protect consumers, whether it's steering wheel covers or the covers that uh, for the shifter knobs and, and things like that. So, Honestly, this is one of those things, Jason, where I'll tell you that um, that's what we're literally working on as we speak um, at our association now is helping gather that information and provide it to the dealers. Because as I mentioned earlier, uh, right now we're in, we're in okay, what's, what's recovery mode look like? We know what crisis mode feels like. It sucks. Um, and we know, what, uh, you know how quickly when a government makes a change or makes an announcement how quickly we have to get stuff out to the dealers because literally within five minutes of that notification going out or um, five minutes of the premier making the announcement, our phones are ringing because people are like, okay, I, what do I have to do next? So I think that right now, to be perfectly honest, there is no clear definition, but we are absolutely going to play a role in making sure that they have the tools uh, to do that as we move forward. That's awesome. I think that's cool as an organization that you guys are kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're taking that extra step forward and, you know, starting to at least have the conversation and discuss what that protocol should be. Uh, I'm curious, uh, Todd L for yourself, um, you know, for your group, how, what does this type of process look like for, for you guys? Well, I mean, again, it's massive, right? I think I made the comment earlier. I didn't use the term um, sanitize. Maybe I should have, uh, but certainly from a hygienic perspective, I think it changes everything, right? I mean, one of the things we talk about every day is what are we doing to protect our employees and what are we doing to protect the customers who are coming into our dealerships for service? I mean, it's going to be infrastructure. Again, I can confirm uh, because I'm the guy that does it, the increase in infrastructure costs and supply costs to be able to maintain this. And, you know, as a group of 11 and, you know, tens of thousands of repair orders a month, um, you know, it adds to the cost. But, you know, it's an investment. It's an investment in our staff and their families and our customers. And it's going to be the new norm and it's going to be the way we do business. And again, anybody that thinks it isn't, um, I think they're kidding themselves. So, I think it's just the reality of it. And I think whoever defines what that new sanitization standard is, uh, I know I will say thank you because I will steal that and implement it immediately and proceed with business. I think that's a really important thing that we standardize that. 
I do. And I, I, I think someone needs to do it as quick as possible because I just, look, I'm all for it. Like, I, I, I just, I wish there was some standard process. Anyways, guys, I, I know we're getting towards the tail end of my time uh, today with you, gentlemen. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me. This has been a lot of fun. But before we sign off, this is one of my favorite parts of the show. I get to ask each one of you, what is pissing you off? <laughs> Okay. Um, uh, Todd Lalonde, I'm going to start with you. What is pissing you off? Um, wow. Uh, you know, what, what sort of pisses me off about our industry is the complete randomization and random chance of success. Um, I, I think uh, big business is big business. Uh, the amount of uh, revenue do we do uh, as an industry in Canada and to rely on absolute randomization uh, in order to get that stresses me and frustrates me to no end. Um, if we can eliminate randomization, add structure and intent to most everything we do, I think we have a great customer experience, a great employee experience, eliminate defection and increase retention. That sounds like an awesome bumper sticker, by the way. I yeah, might have thanks. to steal that. I had, no idea, I had no idea what to say, by the way. <laughs> I wanted I wanted Todd to go first. Well, okay. You're going, just... you going back and forth there really well. I thought I was going to follow his lead. Thanks for throwing a Sorry. Threw a little curveball. I'm I just glad you didn't you say it was us, Todd. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I think if that was the case, you look like you're a pretty fit guy. I was just going to close my computer and call it a day. <laughs> just, just close it. You're like, I'm done. That's over. That's great. That's All right, great. Todd B, you're up, man. All right, right now, a lot of stuff going on. Um, what is pissing you off? I wouldn't say that there's a lot of things um, pissing me off, to be honest with you. I think the, the most frustrating thing is the you feel sometimes uh, a little rudderless when you know that there's change that would be able to help people out that you just you can't make. Um, but, um, you know, the one thing through all this that we've been – um, I guess working under the the mantra of, and that is, and in fact, I think the premier did a much better job articulating than I ever could this weekend. And that was, you know, we're going to have to do some things and we're going to have to change some things. And we're probably going to make a few mistakes along the way. And we're not immune to it either as an association, nobody's immune to that, but it's a whole lot better than doing nothing. And so um, I think that for me, uh, the frustration of, you know, not being able to, um, you know, bring that level of answer to everybody that everybody wants is, is frustrating, but I'm not pissed off. You know, in fact, if anything, I'm pretty proud right now uh, of how a lot of people in our province and even in our country have, have adapted and reacted to this. A lot of people have lost their jobs, uh, you know, even temporary. Look at our industry. Our industry was on a huge uh, upturn for the last how many years? 12, 12 straight years. And then boom, uh, just like completely fell off a cliff overnight. Um, so, you know, there are things that people are dealing with that uh, are much more, um, you know, stressful and, and personal that you just wish that you could help out. But, um, you know, as we move through, as we move through all this, I honestly, am, I can't wait to see what our industry, our industry looks like. And I can't wait to see the people uh, that were there supporting us, whether they're vendors or whoever it is, and, and see the type of loyalty that they get back. I'm with you, Todd. I think there's a lot of opportunity. So sorry, I, I, can't, I can't give you the rant you're looking for, but I'm, That's I'm, okay. really, not, I'm really not an angry person. 
that's that's actually going to be the title right underneath your name it's going to go right under there during this during this video it's going to be todd morgan not the angry person (laughs) i'm just kidding hey guys uh thanks again man for taking the time to jam with me today this was so much fun uh for everybody out there that's listening and watching right now and would love to connect with either one of you gentlemen what is the best way to do so uh todd alone i will start with you uh, Todd at driveautograph.ca. I'm only on one social platform. I'm such a tech guy. Uh, LinkedIn is the only place that I know exists. So uh, Todd at driveautograph.ca or or LinkedIn. And that's a great way to get a hold of me there. Awesome. Thanks. Todd Borgen, uh, what is the best way to connect with you? There is no good way to connect with me. <laughs> <laughs> it just just doesn't happen, right? No, no, no. I'm all kidding aside. The best way to connect with me is uh, is through email. So uh, Todd B at tada.ca. Awesome. Hey, thanks again, guys, for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a lot of fun. You guys have a wonderful day. Thanks. thanks. You too.